tonight, the message, uh, actually t- tonight's uh, message and tomorrow's closing service message is going to be coming from a very special man. He is a man that God has led me to, to come under covering and covenant with. This is a man uh, that I am bound to for life. This is a man that I look up to. It's a man who I highly respect. Uh, when I was searching for a spiritual father uh, to uh, provide covering for me, to speak into my life with authority, to serve as a central voice, uh, even when I disagree with them, for them to speak the, uh, the truth and speak uh, the word of God into my life, uh, I knew that I had to find a man whom I could respect for a lifetime. And for me, you know, just growing up on the urban streets of Philly, it was all about respect. And the way you earn respect on the streets was through violence, right? You have to stand your own. You have to fight, fist fight. And if you want a few fist fights, then you earn your respect. And people, the bullies stop leaving. They leave you alone. And so, you know, I had that kind of pattern of respect. And, you know, I knew that if I was going to have a spiritual father, it's got to be a man that I respect. I had a lot of different people speak into my life, disciple me, mentor me. But when I met Pastor Benjamin and I interacted with him, I was like, I want what this man has. And I, and I saw him and I was like, man, this is a man that I could respect for life. And when that came into my heart, it was an easy decision. I just felt like, where else can I turn to? The Lord had led me clearly to Pastors Benjamin and Sonny. And uh, ever since that covenant we made together uh, to really um, be in this relationship, spiritual father to spiritual son. Uh, God has over and over again con- confirmed that decision and made it stronger. And my respect for this man of God has grown more and more over these years. Uh, he really um, is a man that I really am so thankful that God has sent into my life. I will be so lost, I feel like, with, without his presence. I probably would have, you know, I hurt a lot of people in our, in our church, you know, because I'm kind of, you know, I'm a little insensitive sometimes. Uh, Brady never lets me say anything negative over myself. Uh, but, uh, and being a more gentle man has been a difficult journey for me, different, difficult lesson to learn. Uh, but when I see Pastor Benjamin, he's a, he's a man who is strong, courageous, and yet also very gentle. And... Um, you know, his leadership in, in, our, in our marriage and in our ministry and our life has been so sweet and so precious. He's a man of great wisdom. He knows when to speak and how to speak it. He counsels me. He watches me. He watches the way I rebuke my leaders. And he either praises me or he coaches me to tweak a few things. Uh, but he is always a man uh, whom I highly honor and respect. And it is uh, with great privilege to be able to Uh, Have him preach the last two messages of this retreat. Uh, Let's put our hands together for Pastor Benjamin Robinson. Come on. (laughs) 
I don't know what Pastor Christian's going to do when he finds out I never beat up anybody on the street. <laughs> I told you I was a lover, not a fighter. I talked my way out of fights. I didn't fight my way out of fights. I did get in one fight one time, though, in the eighth grade with Michael Guardu. It was over tetherball. Because that, bro- that boy was cheating. And when I won, he slapped me as hard as he could. And the thing was, my glasses flew off and I couldn't see nothing. So I I knew we just started a fight right there. So I closed my eyes and just started swinging. And I know I connected a few times. He connected a few times too. But when I opened my eyes, somebody came and grabbed my arm and lifted it up. So I knew I had won that fight. So there you go, Pastor Christian. (laughs) Haven't we had a wonderful time here over the last few days? You know, I was thinking this is not just a church-wide retreat. This is a church-deep retreat. We got a lot of wide believers, but not a lot of deep believers. You know, you can have a really, really long and really, really wide kiddie pool. And that's how a lot of believers live. Real wide, broad. When we talk about a broad knowledge of something, but a broad knowledge of something is not the same thing as a deep knowledge of something. And what we've been hearing from Dr. Kirby and from Pastor Daniels is a lot of deep wisdom. And when you have a church deep retreat, you're going deeper than you've ever been. And when you're talking about the wisdom of God, you're talking about the depths of God. As Paul says, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And God's wisdom, God's deep things are things that are not seen by the natural eye, things not heard by the natural ear, things not spoken by the natural mouth, not sensed in the natural realm at all. You've got to go into a different realm to be able to perceive them. That is, Jesus, when he taught the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, the scripture says he went up on the side of a hill and the people went up to him and then he sat down and began to speak. If you don't go up the hill to where Jesus is, you don't hear what he speaks from the mountain. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, not the Sermon in the Valley, because he doesn't speak it to people down in the valley. He only speaks it to people who are willing to go up to the mountain. So God is beginning to teach us how to go up to the mountain of the Lord. The psalmist said it in Psalm 25. He said, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who will stand in his holy place? The tabernacle of David was literally on the hill in Jerusalem. And the people who lived in the surrounding valleys literally had to march up that hill. They had to hike up to the top of that hill in order to hear the word of the Lord. Ascending the hill of the Lord is what the psalmist was talking about. Now, we don't have to hike up a literal hill, but we do have to hike up a spiritual hill. And that simply means that we've got to open our ears and we've got to open our eyes and we've got to open our minds. And sometimes you've got to grab your soul by the throat and drag it into the presence of the Lord because it doesn't want to go there of its own accord. You see, if you didn't have to drag your soul someplace, then it wouldn't be called anything deep. It's not deep when it's accessible and it's right in front of you. If I tell you that two plus two is four, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say that there was anything deep there because it's accessible. Even my daughter knows that. You know, it's accessible even to, the, even to the smallest mind. But God is speaking things that are not accessible to the natural eye. That is, he is divulging riches that, that, he, that he's not divulging to the casual observer, but only to those who are willing to take their pick and shovel and go to work. And so God is teaching us how to have a church deep retreat, not just a church wide retreat. Amen. I have two messages that I want to share with you tonight and tomorrow morning, and I'm so thankful to have been able to go last Uh, Because what going last allows you to do is plagiarize the previous preachers who have gone before you. I must confess that I came to this retreat completely unprepared. 
If you would have asked me a week ago, what are you going to preach? I would have said, I have no idea. I'm waiting to hear what they say. And I'm just going to pick up on that and I'm going to go with it. And if you notice, a lot of times I sat at the back and I took notes or I sat over there and I took notes while they were preaching. And I'll tell you why. Before I tell you why that is, first, I want to draw your attention to a passage of scripture. And before I draw your attention to that passage of scripture, (laughs) I want to let you know that tonight I'm going to talk about what I call the essence of wisdom or the nature of wisdom. I want to ask the question, what is wisdom and what does wisdom do? And then tomorrow morning, I want to talk about the expression of wisdom. And specifically, I want to talk about the expression of wisdom that God is releasing through New Philadelphia Church. God is releasing it in the earth, but specifically, he's releasing it through New Philadelphia Church and in New Philadelphia Church in very powerful ways. You've seen it with your own eyes, but I want you to understand it and I want you to apprehend it at a greater level. And I believe that God's going to tie together everything that he's spoken to us on this retreat so far. He's going to tie it together and he's going to bring it home in a powerful way. Now, I want to draw your attention to Proverbs chapter 2. You don't need to turn there um, because, you know, I memorized the second chapter of Proverbs when I was in the eighth grade, but I memorized it in the King James Version Bible. How many know that sometimes understanding catches up with you along the way? Understanding is overrated in a sense. That is episodically, it's overrated. You don't have to understand now. God will speak things to you now that you won't understand for 10 or 20 years. But when it catches up with you 10 or 20 years later, you'll find that it was like a time release capsule in your spirit that continued to unfold itself and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And when I was in the eighth grade, God gave me Proverbs chapter two, and God continues to speak to me through Proverbs chapter two. It's been like a time release capsule. It's just continued to unfold itself and unfold itself and unfold itself. And God highlighted Proverbs chapter two for me. And I believe we're going to see something about wisdom in this passage that's very important for us to see. And it says in the King James version, my son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commands within thee. So that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest out after knowledge, if thou liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest them as silver and searchest for them as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. What we see in this passage of scripture is that in every act of divine communication or every act of divine proclamation, there are two forms of divine communication. I'll say that again. In every act of divine proclamation, there are two forms of divine communication. The first form is what I call the said. God is communicating to his people through what is said. The second category is what I call the unsaid. God is also communicating to his people through what is not said. And so whenever one of God's spokesmen stand before you or God's spokeswomen stand before you and begin to declare to you the words of the Lord, there are two things happening in that act of proclamation and that proclamation event. There's the said and the unsaid. And so right now, as I'm speaking the word of the Lord to you, God is speaking to you both through what I'm saying and through what I'm not saying. And the unsaid is always greater than the said. In fact, the unsaid is always infinitely greater than the said. Because what is said is always a sign of what is unsaid. 
You see, the words of the preacher are not themselves divine revelation. The words of the preacher are a sign of divine revelation. It points you towards what God is saying. It points you towards what God is doing. It's a sign. Now, I want to talk to you tonight on the subject, sleeping under the sign. Because a lot of believers find themselves sleeping under the sign. Now, the book of Proverbs defines wisdom as the collision of the said and the unsaid. Wisdom transpires at the collision point where the said and the unsaid come together within the heart of one believer. So he starts by saying, Solomon is speaking to his son. He says, my son, if you would receive my words and hide my commands within you, inclining your ear to wisdom. He says, first of all, what you got to do, son, is you got to hear my words. You got to hear from me. God will never give you what I'm going to say in the prayer closet on your own. You can't leave this servant and say, all I need is Jesus. No, you could pray for the next 20 years and God will never say to you in the prayer closet what I'm about to say to you right here. My son, if you would receive my words and hide my commands within you. But listen, son, you're also going to have to incline your ear to wisdom because I'm not going to speak at your level. Because if I speak at your level, I'll leave you at your level. But if I speak above your level, I can lift you up to a higher level. And so you've got to incline your ear. It's an upward way of listening. You've got to listen at a higher level than you normally listen at. And then you've got to apply your heart to understanding. Because not everything I say to you is going to immediately feel good to you. Some of the things I say might sound good, but not feel good. They might be sweet in your mouth, but sour in your belly. And so you not only have to incline your ear, but you have to apply your heart. If you have to say at times, I know this hurts. I know it's tough medicine, but I'm going to have to shift my heart around this. I'm going to have to apply my heart and you're going to have to learn to do it in a moment because son, I'm not going to argue with you about this word. I'm not going to try to convince you that it's the truth. I'm not going to go back and forth with you, back and forth with you. I'm not going to try to overpower you. If you come to me at the end of the service and say, I'm struggling with what you said, I'm going to say, good, go into your prayer closet and struggle with the Lord. Because oftentimes when you come to me at the end of servants and say, I didn't agree with that, I'm struggling with that, what you're really doing is saying, I'm giving you an opportunity to personally convince me of the truth of the things that you're saying, and I ain't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> Either you believe it or you don't. And if you don't believe it, you need to take it up with Jesus, not take it up with me. Are you hearing me tonight? So he said, you need to incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. But don't think that just because you've heard my words, you got wisdom now. Now you have to cry out after wisdom. Now you have to lift up your voice for understanding. Where do you do that? In the secret place of prayer. You have to go home after hearing the message and get on your knees and say, God, now give me wisdom. I've heard the word, now give me understanding. And he said, you got to seek them as silver and search for them as for hid treasures. And he said, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And we got a lot of folks in the church who will do the first, but not the second. They'll receive my words. You'll receive my words. You'll hide my commands within you. You'll incline your ear to wisdom. You'll apply your heart to understanding, but you won't go home and spend 15 minutes in your prayer closet. And so you're hearing the said, but you're not getting the unsaid. Because in the secret place of prayer where you cry out for wisdom and lift up your voice for understanding, in the secret place of prayer where you seek them as silver and search for them as for, for hidden treasures, that's the place where God begins to open up your ears to hear the things that I didn't say. 
that's where he begins to speak to you stuff that I couldn't fit in my message. Stuff that I didn't even know to say. You see, it's real hard being a preacher. And, and I've preached for more than 20 years now, believe it or not. And what I've struggled with more than anything else is, number one, feeling during my time of preparation that I just did not adequately find a way to put on paper in an outline, everything that God has put in my heart. I, it's just not all in there. I always walk away from my time of preparation going, there's so much that I've left unsaid here. And I struggle with that. And then I struggle after I preach. I walk away and I go, but God, I didn't say it all. There's so much more that you wanted to say it. And I was just inadequate to get it out. Because every preacher struggles with trying to say both the said and the unsaid. But what I realize is that God has purposefully in his sovereign wisdom deemed that every preacher would be inadequate before the enormity of his word. That there is not one preacher on planet earth who can sit down and say, I have said everything that God is saying. Not one preacher on planet earth who, who can sit down after preaching, no matter how long he preaches, and say, now I have exhausted the, the annals of divine revelation. Everything that God intended to say to anyone in this room, I have fully proclaimed it. No, no preacher could do that. Paul tried to do it once, and he preached all night long, and somebody fell out of the window and died. Dr. Kirby told me yesterday, he said, son, if you're going to preach long enough for people to fall out the window and die, you better have a resurrection ministry. <laughs> Otherwise, keep it short. <laughs> and what I begin to realize is that I'm supposed to feel that the work is not done when I sit down. I'm supposed to identify the said and say, I said the said. What needed to be said was said, but what was left unsaid was supposed to be left unsaid. Because if there was nothing left unsaid, there'd be nothing more for you and God to talk about in the secret place. And so wisdom doesn't even begin until the said and the unsaid come together. He says, you hear my words and then you go pray. And then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And find the knowledge of God. Now we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? So you got to get the fear of the Lord before you can get to wisdom. If you ain't got no fear of the Lord, then you ain't got no wisdom. But he says, you don't even get to the fear of the Lord until the unsaid and the said collide. It's at that place. People say, I wish I had more fear of God. Well, you're either not getting enough of the said or you're not getting enough of the unsaid. Either you're not listening to the messages with an inclined ear and applied heart. Or you're not going into the secret place and seeking God for him to give you a greater wisdom. Now watch this. There's four types of hearers. Before we get to the fear of the Lord. There's four types of hearers in every gathering where the word of God is being proclaimed. Number one, there's those who hear the said but don't hear the unsaid. Number two, there's those who hear or are listening for the unsaid but not the said. Number three, there are those who hear neither the said nor the unsaid. And number four, there are those who hear both the said and the unsaid. That fourth camp is the camp that arrives at the realm called wisdom. Now, what the Spirit of the Lord is saying is that the majority of individuals that God is speaking to in this house tonight, where God wants to deepen, where God is speaking to is the first group. Those who are great at hearing the said. See, a lot of you are great at hearing the said, but not so great at getting the unsaid. And what happens when you get the said but not the unsaid is that you become dependent upon the said. 
You're so dependent upon the said that as soon as this service is over, you're going to go download the podcast. And when you see me, you're going to tell me that I listened to your message 27 times. Matter of fact, I memorized your message. I translated it into Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. I had it transcribed so that I could read it word for word. I put it all across. I made it into wallpaper in my room so that I could read it. I wrote it in chalk on my mirror. I tattooed sayings of it on my hand so that when I wake up, I would see it in the morning. You are so good at getting the said. Even right now while I'm talking, you're writing feverishly. i got to get the said. You are so skilled at getting the said. But you don't know the first thing about how to get to the unsaid. And let me tell you how I know that. Because I hear a lot of people say, Oh, Pastor Benjamin, I listened to that message that you preached 13 times. And that's great and that's wonderful. I'm glad you did. But what I don't hear people saying is, I heard you preach on Romans 12 and I just couldn't wait to get home to meditate on Romans 12. And I went home and I dug deep into Romans 12 for the next week. And ever since I heard you preach on it, I went so deep in Romans 12 that I've never been to places that God took me in Romans 12 before in my life. In other words, I don't hear people saying, I went home and searched after God. I hear people say, I went home and re-listened to you. And re-listened to you. And re-listened to you. And re-listened to you. I am a sign. The said is a sign. It points to the unsaid, but you got to go beyond the sign to get to the thing that the sign points to. When you drove in here to the Welly Hilly Resort, you came upon a sign that said Welly Hilly Resort and Spa or whatever it said. <laughs> Sounds good. What if you would have got out of your park, your car and stood under that sign and said, we're here at Willie Hilly. Where is everybody? We're here. And I come out at night and find you sleeping under the sign. That's where the church is sleeping under the sign, sleeping under the sign. It says Welly Hilly sleeping under the sign. You recognize that the sign points to Welly Hilly. The sign is not Welly Hilly. You got to go past the sign to get to Welly Hilly. When you saw the sign, your heart rejoiced. And it doesn't mean the sign is not important. The sign is extremely important because you drove for like three and a half to four godforsaken hours to get here. I mean, you know, when we were leaving, I said, Pastor Christian, how long is the drive? About two hours. We drove for two hours. How much longer? About an hour and 20 minutes. We drove for an hour and a half. Then we went to a rest stop. So how much longer we got to go? About another hour. Are you kidding me? There was traffic. There was a, a subway accident, for God's sake. There was buses late. There was stalled vehicles on the road. There was, there was hot talk at the rest stop. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. Woo. We got to stop at that rest stop on the way home. I need some more of that hot dog. That was bomb dizzle. It was off the hizzle for shizzle. Oh, that was crazy good. And so when you saw that sign that said, Welly Hilly, your heart rejoiced because you knew that your journey was over. 
Your heart rejoiced because you knew that you didn't have to search anymore. Your heart rejoiced because you knew you could come off the highway. But that, your heart rejoiced that you saw the sign. But you also knew in your heart that you still had a little ways to go before you actually arrived at the reality of Willie Hilly. And so when you hear the word of the Lord preached, your heart is supposed to rejoice because the word of God indicates that your search is over. It indicates that your warfare is over, that your iniquity is pardoned. It indicates that God is saying, comfort ye my people. Comfort, says the Lord. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is over, that her iniquity is pardoned. It indicates that there's an open door in heaven and a voice saying, come up here, but you still got to come up here. You can't stop at the voice that says come up here. You got to actually come up here. But you're sleeping under the sign. Sleeping under the sign because you got the said, but not the unsaid. The unsaid wants to take you beyond the said and you're living beneath the said. The unsaid wants to take you beyond the said, but you barely even got half the said. And the problem is you think you have to fully understand the said before you can go beyond it. God can take you beyond the said when you don't even understand 10% of the said. The, uh, li listen, that sign that said Willy Hilly, it could have been in Korean. All I needed was somebody to tell me that says Willy Hilly, and I would have went right past it. And I, I'm still here. I'm telling you, you're, see, some of you sit here and you say, I don't understand. See, the thing is, once again, in the wisdom of God, he makes sure you don't understand some stuff. Preachers feel pressure to make everything understandable, and Jesus never felt that pressure. Pastor Daniel said last night, when Jesus told a parable, he didn't care if you understood it or not. As a matter of fact, he intentionally said it so it couldn't be understood. I mean, Jesus, we would have never invited Jesus to be the guest speaker at our retreat. Can you imagine Jesus coming up to? There was a man with two sons. One son was Korean and the other was black. And he tells you this story that doesn't make a lick of sense. You don't know where it's coming from or why. And then he finishes and departs from that place. Where's Jesus going? That's what Jesus would do. You know why? Because he wanted to see who was going to follow him. You see, the wisdom wasn't imparted to the crowd that heard the word. The wisdom was imparted to the disciple that followed him to the secret place. The disciples that says, I heard the word, I didn't understand it, but I'm going to follow the one who spoke it until I get the understanding. I'm going where he goes. He went up to the mountain to speak it, but I'm following him down the mountain to get the interpretation. And the thing is, sometimes you got to go down into the valley to get the interpretation. See, he speaks the word on the mountaintop and it doesn't come with its understanding. It doesn't come with its interpretation. But sometimes you got to follow him down into the valley, but you got to stay on his hills until the revelation comes, until the interpretation comes until the understanding comes now some of you are saying yes but he only gave that to 12 actually that's not correct he would take the 12 into an inner room and they would say to him explain to us what does the parable of the sower mean but what you don't understand is there was 120 outside of the door and they were listening in and the 12 weren't the only ones who heard it but whoever had an ear to hear they heard what the spirit was saying to the church and he would give them, listen, God is waiting for you in the secret place and he's baiting you. 
But what we tend to do is we want to be spoon fed. Spoon fed. Pastor, I want you to I want you to labor in prayer all week long. And then I want you to come to the platform with fresh bread from heaven. And I want you to give me the word, the interpretation of it, the exposition of the text, the application to my personal situation. At least one very powerful illustration so I could see it happening in living color. (laughs) Then I want you to bring a specific exhortation to one place in my life where that. And so that's in that way. It's a completely closed event. The pastor did all the work for you. Now you don't need to pray at all. You know what? The spirit of God is far more capable of applying the word of God to your heart than I am. And actually, I can't even tell you how he's going to apply it because the Holy Spirit is able to apply the word in a multitude of ways. And if I give you one application of it or one interpretation of it, you walk home thinking that's it. And the Holy Spirit's going, no, I got a whole lot more. See, the thing is, watch this. This is going to blow you away. Giving a word from the Lord to the average believer today is like giving a smartphone to a senior citizen. I know it's powerful, but I have no idea what to do with it. See, a lot of you are young, but you're spiritual senior citizens. Because a word from the Lord comes and you go, what's this newfangled thing? I never heard that prophecy before. I don't understand that. What did he say? Spiritual senior citizens. Don't understand the new spiritual technology that God's releasing in the body of Christ. You're still using your old flip phone, your old Motorola flip phone. You're still using your little razor. Remember that razor? Flip. Why don't you get a smartphone? I don't know how to use those things. Where are the buttons? What am I going to do with the glass screen? Where's the buttons? Now, when you first got your iPhone, you remember it had no apps. No apps. That's how most believers are. You get a word from God, it's like an iPhone, but you got no apps. You got to learn how to go into the app store of the Holy Spirit. You got to learn to go into the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you that he has an endless supply of applications for every word that you use. Every word that he's got an endless supply. And listen, you got to understand that some apps are free, but some are going to cost you. And some of you got dozens of apps that you've downloaded, but you never opened up and you've never learned how to use. Because the Holy Spirit has given you applications, but you never applied those applications. When the Holy Spirit tells you what to do with it, but you don't do it, that's called disobedience. Now we got to move on to talk about the fear of the Lord. It says, if you cry out after knowledge, lift up your voice. First, you hear my words, hide my commands within you. Then you cry out after knowledge, lift up your voice with, uh, for understanding. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Now, you got to understand the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not the terror of the Lord. Fear is ultimate concern. Whatever, is, whatever corresponds to the realm of your ultimate concern, that is the realm of the type of fear that the, po- the Proverbs are speaking of, the Bible is speaking when it talks about the fear of the Lord. For instance, I love my daughter, Alethea. I love her. 
And because I love her, she resides within the realm of my ultimate concern. And so that means that I fear for her safety. I mean, right now, if I heard her screaming in the hall, as precious as you are, I would drop this mic and fly out that door to see what's going on with my baby girl. Why? Because that's the realm of my ultimate concern. And because she resides within the realm of my ultimate concern, I'm going to take actions to make sure that she's safe. See, whatever you're concerned about, you're ready to act on on a dime. Whatever it is, if you're not concerned about it, you don't do nothing about it. But if it's in the realm of ultimate concern for you, you're always looking out for it. I got to do something. My wife, I love my wife with all my heart. And because I love her, that she resides within the realm of my ultimate concern. So if our heart begins to separate, I begin to fear. Not terror, like, oh, but it's concern. Ooh, I'm deeply concerned. I got to take it seriously. I can't let our hearts get divided. And sometimes she feels it and she comes to me. Our hearts are being divided. Sometimes I feel it and I come to her. Our hearts are being divided. We won't let each other go. Why? Because it's the realm of our ultimate concern. The fear of the Lord means that the realm of, your realm of ultimate concern is the realm where God exists in your life. And for most of us, that's not true. For most believers, that's not true. Why? How do you know if God resides within the realm of your ultimate concern? Are you more afraid of obedience or disobedience? See, most believers are afraid of obedience. They fear the consequences of obeying God. Just ask Moses. Moses, go stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. But, oh, what if he asked me what God told me to say that? What if he questions me? Uh, tell him I am said to say it. But what if he doesn't hear me? I'll go with you. But what if the people of Israel don't believe me? Moses, you're more concerned about the negative consequences of obedience than you are about the negative consequences of disobedience. You're more scared of what people will do if you obey me than of what I'll do if you disobey me. The fear of man is the opposite of the fear of the Lord. Moses was afraid of man and most of us are like Moses. We're so afraid that what if I don't have enough money if I give my tithe? If I give my tithe, what if I don't have enough money to live? Well, what if, well, if I stop sleeping with him, he might not like me anymore. If I stop drinking with my friends, they might not want to be my friends anymore. Then I might be alone. So afraid that there's going to be some negative consequence if you obey God. And as long as you're afraid of obedience... As if God is trying to punish you by giving you a command. You have no fear of God. You're afraid of man. And not afraid of God. But when you get to the point where you understand the goodness of God. And understand that his commands are not destructive but they are constructive. That they're not designed to destroy you but they're designed to bless you and to build you up. When you begin to believe that then you'll stop being afraid of the consequences of obedience. And you'll begin to fear the consequences of disobedience. Instead of saying, what if man rejects me if I obey you? You'll say, oh my God, what if I miss the blessing by disobeying you? What if I don't do what God wants and then I don't get the blessing? He's good. You know what? I'm ready to do this thing, God, whatever you want. You see, wisdom is the ability to know what to do. And you'll never know what to do as long as you're afraid of obeying God. Because when you fear obeying God, God refuses to speak to you sometimes. And it's an act of grace. Because he does not want to speak to you that which he will have to judge you for later. Because he knows you're not going to do it. 
So God says, in my mercy and grace, I'm not going to tell you what you're asking me. Why? Because I know you ain't going to do it. So I'm going to give you more time. I'm going to get you ready. And you're crying out for wisdom. What you got to work on is the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when you come into that place of the fear of the Lord, where you forsake the fear of obedience and embrace the fear of disobedience, where all of a sudden obedience to God becomes your ultimate concern, at that very place, you begin to reside in the realm of wisdom. And now all of a sudden, you know what to do. You know what to do with the word of God when it comes to you. And what you discover is that before you resided in that realm of wisdom, you actually knew what to do, but you were afraid to know what to do. And so you denied the knowledge that you possessed. What's the road to wisdom? The said and the unsaid. You got to learn to reside in both realms, the realm of the said and the realm of the unsaid. And for most of you, you need, and I, I dare say this, you need to stop listening to so many podcasts and start meditating on scripture more. Did I say the podcast isn't important? It's of utmost importance. Definitely listen to it once. <laughs> I'm not saying don't listen to it. But I'm saying when you listen to it and you write down all those verses, instead of going back through the message, go back through the verses that came out of that message. Delve deep into that word that God gave you because it's the word God is waiting. Listen, now Paul goes on in this passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. He says, you know, yes, we do speak wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this world, which is coming to nothing. But we speak the hidden wisdom of God in a mystery, the mystery that was hidden from ages and generations, but it's now being made known to his saints. Then he goes on and says, for it is written... He quotes the prophecy from the Old Testament. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, mind has not conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But then he goes on to reverse that. He says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Let me tell you something. God is revealing right now at this very moment more than you're hearing. It's revealed, but not said you got to separate the categories of the said and the revealed because there are things that God is revealing right now. And sometimes you begin to sense revelation just lingering in the atmosphere. It's there, but you can't even articulate it. you got to go get into your secret place of prayer and lay hold of it. I know it's there, but i got to begin to pray and meditate till I begin to lay hold of it. And all of a sudden, there in the secret place, God is ready to meet me. There, I'm telling you that God is calling you to that secret place. And he's called. See, this is the thing. You want wisdom? Wisdom builds her house. When you hear the word spoken, it lays the foundation. But now you got to get the wisdom to build the house around it. Wisdom built through wisdom, the house is built. And God wants to teach you how to build houses. Now, remember we said that this is no longer a Davidic season of warring. It's now a Solomonic season of building. And David procured peace through warfare, but Solomon procured peace through wisdom. It was through wisdom that Solomon brought about peace, and he brought it about in a moment. Uh, Pastor Daniels talked, or or Dr. Kirby was one of them, talked about... The two prostitutes, Dr. Kirby, the two prostitutes that argued over whose baby it was. And Solomon solved it in a moment with wisdom. Bring a sword, cut the baby in half. One woman said, no, don't don't do it. The other woman said, yes, do it. Solomon said, the woman who said, no, that's the mother. Give her the baby. And she left. He solved it with wisdom. Remember, David had many adversaries in his life that he was not able to extinguish. 
But on his deathbed, he said to Solomon, he said, remember Shimei, he's the guy who threw rocks at me and drove me out as I was leaving Jerusalem and called me a bloodthirsty man. Don't you let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. I want you to kill that man. I want you to deal with that thing. David said, in my entire lifetime, I wasn't able to kill that thing. But son, now I'm giving you the responsibility of putting that thing to death. And Solomon said, no problem, dad. He said, call in Shimei after David died. Shimei came in and Solomon said, I want you to stay in Jerusalem for the rest of your life. You ever leave Jerusalem, you die. You got it? He said, yeah, I got it. Three years went by and one of his slaves left. He didn't know that Solomon had people watching him continually. He left Jerusalem to go find his slave and he brought him back home. Solomon said, call him into my court. They called him into the court and Solomon said, didn't I tell you the day you left Jerusalem you would die? He said, yeah, but um, kill him. And he killed him right there. But he put him to death with wisdom. It was wisdom. And let me tell you something, that when God begins to give you wisdom, he begins to give you the ability to put things to death that you've been struggling against your entire life. You can wage war over stuff for decades when you're living under that Davidic realm in which you're trying to war your way through everything. See, last thing I need to tell you is that Dr. Kirby, many of you didn't understand what he said when he said your major battle is not going to be with the devil, it's going to be with God. Let me explain what he meant by that. In James chapter 4 verse 7, James says, therefore submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's a progression there. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you don't submit to God but try to resist the devil, you got no power to drive him out. You can resist the devil for years. But listen, when Jesus dealt with the demonic, he said, go. And it went. He didn't wrestle with it. He didn't fight. Why? Because he was in complete submission to God. So when he resisted the devil, the devil had to flee. You know what? I don't wrestle to try to learn how to resist the devil more powerfully. You know what I do? I try to wrestle to submit to God more more powerfully. When he said your battle is with God, he didn't mean you're supposed to battle God. You're supposed to submit to God. But in every one of us, there's that rebellion. Something in us is trying to fight against God. You're actually not battling against God. You're battling against yourself. That part of you that wants to fight God. you got to put to death that part of you that wants to fight God. And Paul calls it the flesh. You see? And so God wants to give us wisdom. But that wisdom is found at the place where the said and the unsaid collide. Now I'm coming into that strange space right now. I'm coming to the end of my message and everything in me is saying, it's not said, but there's so much more to say. Did they get it? Did they understand? Cause see, I'm a typical preacher and I feel all of this responsibility, but you know what God showed me? I'm actually not responsible for your understanding. I'm responsible to be faithful, to communicate the said as best I can. In a way that you can understand. And when I've done that. The Holy Spirit takes over from there. And at the end of the message. You know what I do? I commend you to God. So now you're in his hands. All of my explaining has come to an end. You say sometimes you hear a message. You say well that failed. Really? Sometimes yes. Because sometimes a preacher can get up and say something and it had nothing to do with the said or the unsaid. He just missed God. I'm not saying that's not possible. But when an anointed mouth speaks to an anointed ear. And that word sinks down into an anointed heart. A synergy takes place. And that synergy is taking place right here.
This is the, th- the, the strength of New Philadelphia Church is that the ears in the house are just as anointed as the mouth that speaks. There is not one speaker in the world that speaks at a level that's beyond your anointing. I know what it's like to preach to an unanointed crowd. It's not as powerful. But when an anointed mouth speaks to an anointed ear, and that anointed ear takes that word down into an anointed heart, a synergy takes place. You are expert hearers of the word of God. That hearing the said and getting it, you are like no other. There's no one like you in that realm. The ability to hear that word, to receive it, to rejoice in it, to treasure it, to honor it, and to value it. And I am by no means saying that you should diminish that in any way, shape, or form. But now the Spirit of the Lord is calling you beyond it. Because some of you have wondered why you've sat under the teaching for years but seen no fruit in your life. It's because you're sleeping under the sign. You're sleeping under the sign. Now, if that was you, if you had actually gotten out of your car and stayed under the sign that said Welly Hilly for this entire weekend, you would leave and say it was the worst retreat you'd ever been at in your whole life. You would leave and say, I didn't get any breakthrough. I didn't get any deliverance. I didn't get any healing. I didn't hear any word. Why? Because you're sleeping under the sign. I'm calling you to get out, get up, get back in your vehicle. And go beyond the sign. I'm calling you to go beyond me tonight. I'm telling you in your secret place. If you would go beyond me tonight. If you would get in your small group. And, and But even go beyond your small group. I'm talking about the secret place. That place where it's just you and God. That place where it's just you and God. That's where he's calling you. He's drawing you to yourself. And I'm telling you that God will never mix up those categories. Of the said and unsaid. He'll never speak through the preacher that which he desired to give you in, his, in your prayer closet. And he'll never speak in your prayer room that which he desired to give you through the speaker. you got to go get it from the speaker. And then you got to take it into that secret place. And God has so much more to say. Even Jesus didn't say everything in his ministry. At the end of it, he said to his disciples, I got so much more to tell you, but you can't bear it now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will tell you all things. He will guide you into all truth. He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. He has so much more for you, more than I could say. If I had 10,000 tongues, I could not fully communicate to you the gravity of what God is revealing to you tonight. There's the said and the unsaid and there's the done and the undone. Because some of you will leave a service and say, I didn't get my breakthrough. There were people who got theirs, but I didn't get mine. Yes, just as there's the said and the unsaid, there's the done and the undone. And God's waiting for you in the secret place to get your done. You need to get the undone there and the unsaid there. Why? Because God loves you so much. He wants to draw you off to a secret place. He wants to allure you into that place all by yourself. I'll never forget when I was a seminary student and God began to allure me. He began to draw me off to himself. I remember I'd be standing in chapel and the worship music would be going and I'm in the assembly and God would speak and say, shh, don't sing. Don't sing. I say, why? Don't open your mouth. And I would be standing there feeling like I'm going to explode inside. I want to sing so bad. And the Lord said, no, shh. And when I would get home, as soon as I would cross the threshold into my apartment, the Spirit of the Lord would say, sing now. Sing now. 
And I would have these powerful times of worship all by myself. And I'd say, God, why are you doing this? He says, because in this season, it's you and me. I got to teach you how to walk with me now. Because when I begin to use you, if I haven't taught you this now, it's almost too late to learn it then. Or at least it's a lot harder to learn it then. Listen, you're at a place now, and especially you Emmaus students. God is going to use you in powerful ways, but you got to get this now. God does not want you to be dependent upon any preacher. Listen, the preacher might say Jesus, but he is not Jesus. You got to go past the preacher to get to the Jesus. Remember John the Baptist. They said, who are you? They said, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you Jeremiah? He said, no, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. He said, I'm not the one, but I'm his witness. I'm simply here to get you ready for his coming. And I'm telling you that he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. I'm telling you that it's about Jesus. It's not about Welly Hilly. It's not even about New Philly. It's not even about Emmaus. It's about the kingdom of God. And his kingdom will know no end. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And I'm telling you that at the end, when we stand before God, there will be no living hope. There will be no new Philly. There will be no Emmaus. But you know what there will be? There will be the redeemed, the ransomed of the Lord. There will be those who have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, a multitude which no one can count, out of every tongue and tribe and kindred and nation. And they will gather before the throne of God, and they will sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, to receive glory and honor and dominion and power, because He has redeemed us. And God's calling us to live today as if it were that day. That each time we gather, we must learn to transcend the temporal realm. We must learn to ascend the hill of the Lord and to stand in his holy place. Because even right now as I'm speaking, I just sense some of you, your spirit is ascending into that Holy Spirit app store. And the Holy Spirit is saying, here's the top rated free apps. And here's the top-rated paid apps. And some of those top-rated apps are things like faith. You see, you can hear the word and it has no effect in your life. Why? Because you didn't mix it with faith. you got to go up into the app store and download that application called faith. You see, there's another app called hope. And the difference between faith and hope is that faith is for the now, but hope is for tomorrow. Faith is about possessing now what you hope for tomorrow. When you go into the app store, you begin to recognize that there's three different levels of truth. That when God first speaks to you, he gives you truth in the form of a mystery. He says it's true even though it doesn't appear to be true. It's a mystery because reality seems to refute it. It's a mystery because when you look at your natural situation, your natural situation calls it a lie. But God wants to see if you're going to continue to call it truth when the world calls it a lie. And so he says, by his wounds, you have been healed. But yet you look at your physical body and you're still riddled with sickness and illness. You say, well, how do I believe that I'm healed when I look at my body and I'm sick? Well, I'll tell you how it's a mystery. It's true, even though it doesn't look like it's true. And when you're in that realm of mystery, you can't ignore the reality. You got to deal with the reality. If you're sick, you can't say, no, I'm not going to the doctor by his wounds. I'm healed. No, you need to take yourself to the doctor and confess by his wounds. I'm healed. 
Even though we know the truth that on Calvary's cross, he did away with all sickness and disease. And he gave us dominion over sickness and disease. And he gave us authority to heal all manner of sickness and disease. And if I lay hands on you and you don't get healed, I'm still going to walk away and say, I've got authority over all sickness and disease. And I'm going to look in your eye and say, I want you to go home and confess by his wounds I am healed. You see, when God gives you truth in the form of a mystery, you got to steward that mystery. When Paul talked about the stewardship of the mystery, he was talking about confessing things to be true that don't appear to be true. That's faith. I've got it now. Faith, it's not hope. Hope is I'm going to have it later. Faith says I possess it now. But if you steward the mystery, it becomes a revelation. And when it becomes a revelation, it goes, the, what happens is the internal struggle dissipates. And all of a sudden you begin to see it by the Spirit. You begin to possess it by the Spirit. And it makes more sense to you in the Spirit than it does in the natural. It's, your body still didn't change. The sickness is still there, but you got the revelation that you've been healed. And so when people begin to pray for you, you say, you don't even need to pray for me anymore. I already got my healing. By his wounds, I've been healed. Why? Because I got a revelation. You see, God gave me revelation of his healing power. And I see it in the spirit. And I possess it in the spirit. But if you steward that revelation, it'll become a manifestation. And now all of a sudden, your physical body will change. All of a sudden, that healing will manifest in your body. You see, what the immature do is they, they, uh, they abort the word at the place of mystery. Because it doesn't look like it's true. And they don't know how to download that app called Mustard Seed Faith. There's an application called Mustard Seed Faith, which we've completely understood. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be thou lifted up and cast into the sea and it'll obey you. And yet we don't understand. We think, I've got mustard seed faith. It's not episodic. Mustard seed faith has to be planted in the earth and watered. It's the smallest of all garden seeds, but when it grows, it becomes the largest of the plants in the garden. And so you, your mustard seed faith seems ineffective at first, but if you continue to steward it, see mustard seed faith is faith that you're willing to stand upon and steward over a long period of time. And over that long period of time, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it throws mountains off. It, it takes, uh, takes trees and uproots them and throws them off mountains and into seas, but you got to let it grow. You got to Steward mustard seed faith until it grows big enough to move mountains. You're hearing me tonight. God is doing a new thing in you. He's giving you wisdom. But the essence of wisdom is found at that place where the said and the unsaid collide. That's why preachers can just go on preaching all night. The only limitation is physical strength. Because every time I come to the end of my message, I start to sense more of the unsaid. And I try to say it. And it's a trap. That's why Paul preached all night. I could keep going on and on and on. You know why? Because there's so much more God has to say to you. But I'm going to close it here. Why? Because I want God to give it to you in the secret place. He's so much better of a speaker than I am. He's so much more relevant. So much more clear. So much deeper. It's about you and him. That's all. But you got to stop sleeping under the sign. You got to come out from under that sign. And you got to move toward the reality. All right, worship team, come up. But um, this is what I want to do. How much time do I have? 15 minutes. Good. I need the campus pastors from Pusan, the campus pastors from Sydney, the campus pastors from Itaewon to come. Just stand down here and face me.
a new age I like to use that word dispensation it's a new dispensation but when I use that word it has nothing to do with dispensationalism because your pastor already told you that's wrong and I agree with him but I mean it's a new season and it's a season of deeper wisdom you all have stewarded the teaching of this house you possessed pastor Christian's words even as he has possessed mine, even as I have possessed the words of my spiritual father, even as he's possessed the words of his spiritual father, this retreat is a witness to you of what God can do from one generation to the next. You've seen it with your eyes. You heard from Mufasa, Dr. Kirby. Hear me carefully. People came to me and said, what is he saying? American Catholics? Somebody said, human Catholics? Human Catholics? No, hear me carefully. Hear me carefully, children. Hear me carefully. Some of y'all just got revelation right there. (laughs) Whole three days trying to figure out what he was saying. You heard words of wisdom coming from his mouth just flowing and then you heard you heard from Pastor Daniels I remember when I first met Dr. Kirby it was well I'd met him before but I remember after I'd come into sonship and it was Pastor Daniels 18th anniversary as pastor of City of the Lord Zion in Oakland and we flew in Dr. Kirby to speak for that event Pastor Daniels had talked so much about him and I had never gotten to really sit and speak with him. And I was so excited. And I came to that event and I sat there and he began to speak. I just started crying. I just started crying. I was just crying. And all of a sudden he looked at me and he started prophesying. In the middle of his sermon, he starts prophesying to me. I just broke. I'm just weeping and weeping. But you know what struck me? I heard so many things come out of his mouth that Pastor Daniels had spoken to me. I began to think that's where he got that from. That's where he got that from. But I was struck by the fact that when it came from Pastor Daniels, it was so different. Because when we're talking about inheritance, we're not talking about cloning. We don't need any clones. You've seen that those clones in the body of Christ? Where the associate pastor is trying to sound exactly like the senior pastor. Trying to dress like him. They follow him around. Nobody needs clones. In the natural, I'm not a clone of my earthly father and mother. I'm different. But I'm different not in a divisive way, but in a unifying way. Because I bring things to the house that they don't have. But I value what they have. And I see what I bring to the house not as a contradiction of what they have but something that adds to it and perfects it. Psalm 145.4, or is it 144.5? One of those two. It says, one generation will commend your works to the next. What we try to do in the body of Christ is we try to become generationally homogenous. 
I'll only hang out with people in my age group. But God wants to to send the spirit of Elijah on the earth. And he said, in the last days, I'll send the spirit of Elijah. And the spirit of Elijah is a generational spirit. He turns the hearts of fathers to the sons and the hearts of sons to the wisdom of the wise. And God said, if that doesn't happen, I'm going to smite the land with a curse. What you've seen at this retreat, what you've heard is my spiritual grandfather speak and my spiritual father speak. And you've heard your spiritual father speak and you've seen and you've heard your spiritual grandfather speak. And you've heard your spiritual father speak. And we are all moving together. And you're able to detect the differences. Not contradictions, but differences. You got to get that. Because me and my wife do some things differently in our home than my parents do in their home. If you go to Peter and Diane's house, they do things differently. But in my house with my kids, I do it my way. When they come to my house, you may see differences. I, I honor them. We don't highlight the difference. No, I do it differently. We figure it out. We're all together. It's family. It's family. There are things that your spiritual father and mother do differently than me and Sonny do in our house in Emeryville. But it was family. It's still lineage. It's still heritage. It's generational. But what God is doing in you is he's taking it to a whole nother level. Because you've got everything Dr. Kirby has. And you've got everything Pastor Daniels has. And you've got everything Pastor Benjamin and Sonny has. You got everything Pastor Christian and Aaron has, and you got everything you have. Marcus, you are a sign. You are a precursor. You are a forerunner. What I saw in December was a sign of things to come. As I came here in December to hear you preach at Friday Fire, and you spoke a word that went all the way back up the lineage and blessed every one of us, added new insight that we had never heard blew our minds with new insight and new revelation that we had never seen before. It came right back up the generations. Because when it says one generation will commend your works to another, it's not just from the top down. It starts with the top down, but then it comes from the bottom all the way back up. I told you one one day God spoke to me as I was driving to church. He said, son, prophesy to me. I said, God, that's out of order. (laughs) Prophesy to you? He said, yeah, prophesy to me. I said, God, I didn't know you needed a word. God said, no, I just want one. Give me a word. Come on, prophesy. Son of man, prophesy. I said, okay. You will be exalted above all things. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the earth will be filled with your knowledge as the water covers the seas. And all of a sudden I begin to realize that to prophesy to God simply means to worship. Worship is prophecy. And that's why in the Old Testament, the worship leaders were called prophets. It said they prophesied unto the Lord on the timbrel and on to the harp. Why? Because you're speaking back to God the things that he's spoken to you. It's generational. It says in Proverbs 31 of that virtuous woman that her children will rise up and call her blessed. It's generational. And I say to you that you are not only the recipients of an inheritance that is being passed down to you. But I say to you that you are participants. You are participants in a movement and in a lineage. And you're going to sow into the lives of your father and your mother. 
You're going to sow into the lives of your grandfather and your grandfather, uh, grandmother. You're going to sow all the way up. Dr. Kirby is going to hear it and be blessed. His wife, Sister Sandra, is going to hear of it and be blessed. Pastor Daniels and Pastor Diane are going to hear of it and be blessed. And all of the churches in the lineage are going to be blessed. I'm looking to hear the words that come out of you. The words that come out of you. Now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. And I say that there's a new level of divine wisdom that's coming upon you now. But we're in a new day and a new time. We're in a day and in a time in which Moses can lay his hands on Joshua and not have to die. Because <laughs> see, for Joshua to walk in wisdom in his day, Moses had to die. But that day is over. Now we're seeing generations and generations and generations commending his works to another. And I declare that it's a new day and that there's new wisdom. And it's coming upon you now. I want you to just lift your hands to the Lord. I want apostolic leaders to come stand behind you. And I want pastors Christian and Aaron to come stand in front of you. I want everybody to stand. Everybody, I want, to, want you to stretch out your hands toward these. And I want you to pray. God is drawing you into the secret place and he's giving you new wisdom there, new revelation, new insight. You've heard the said, God says, now I give you the unsaid. Pastor Daniels, come up here, please. You've heard the said, now I give you the unsaid. You've seen the done, now I give you the undone. There's more to be said. There's more to be done. You will speak not only out of the inheritance of what has been spoken by your spiritual fathers, by those who have come before you, but you're going to speak things that they have not said. You receive the inheritance not only of what they have said, but what they have not said. God says, I give you wisdom. I give you wisdom and I call you to wisdom, says the Lord, in the secret place. Take it right now and everybody just pray.